Jesus and various people, uh, how they interacted. Often they were life-changing encounters. Well, today we look at a, a sort of a different encounter. It's not life-changing so much as it is life-ending. It's the last serious conversation Jesus has in his life as he meets with Pontius Pilate, the Roman uh, governor. Well, I don't know if, if you uh, had to do something in Geneva a few weeks ago. Uh, the whole city was blocked down because we had the Biden-Putin summit. It, was a, it got a lot of media attention, didn't it, as they met at, uh, in Geneva at the Vida-Dagahomers. And I wonder, why, why did you get so much media attention? Well, two very important leaders, but also two leaders with, who represent a different, uh, different countries with a very different set of values, don't they? Two, there was sort of a clash of values and worldviews, and they, they met, and it was cordial, and, the, the feedback was it didn't necessarily produce a lot. Well, here we have also a clash, which is fascinating. We have Jesus meeting with Pilate. Jesus also someone very influential, meeting with really the most powerful person in the country. Pilate who represented Rome. And in seeing the, the clash, in seeing the difference, we get to see how unique and amazing Jesus is. And that's what I want to look at you with these. So there's a lot in this passage. Let's look at three things and let's compare the difference. The vision of Pilate with the vision of Jesus on three things. The three things are kingship, then truth, and then power. And by comparing this, we need to see at what point, how and how unique Jesus is. So I hope you still have your Bibles open. Um, to John chapter 18, start with kingship. The Jewish leaders bring Jesus to Pilate because they want to put Jesus to death. This has been something they've been that's been building in the story for a while. Well, only the Romans could legally put someone to death. Um, but they have a problem because the problem the Jews have is that Jesus is claiming to be God's son, a theological claim. Well, the Romans don't necessarily care about that. Theological debate if someone wants to claim to be God's, so what? That doesn't really matter to us. So they have to find another accusation. You see the beginning where they bring him to, to Jesus and say he's an evildoer, he's a criminal, that's what we're bringing him to you. The other Gospels tell us exactly what the charge was before Pilate, and it was that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so you see, Pilate brings him in, and that's his first question. You see that in verse 33? He enters his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, So, are you the king of the Jews? Now, what does Pilate mean by that question? Okay, for Pilate, he's a Roman governor. And when he's thinking king, king of this Jewish people, what is he thinking? Well, what he's thinking is a political revolutionary. Sort of a Jewish version of William Wallace who's going to rally the Jews and fight back against the Roman oppression. At this time, the Jews were under Roman occupation, and they despised it. And there was a, a lot of talk of, can we, can we fight back and find our freedom? So when, when, when Pilate hears his charge, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews, he's thinking this is a political 
guerrilla leader who's going to try to create an uprising here in my territory of jurisdiction. And after all, I mean, Pilate, he works for the Roman Empire. He knows how this works, doesn't he? I mean, what, what group better represents the idea of we're going to, through military might and force, we're going to take control. And the Romans, they, they were the incarnation of military force. That's really how they kept the peace, wasn't it? So when Pilate hears this, he says, okay, are you? Are you a king? Are you a threat to me? Now, uh, how does Jesus reply? Do you see the problem? How, how can Jesus reply to this question? Because if he says, well, well yes, I'm a king, he, he has made claims of being a king, but not in that way. And so do you see what Jesus answers? He says in verse 34, is, do you understand what you're asking? Did this question come from you, or did others tell you about me? He's saying, in fact, do you, do you really see what you're asking? And then Jesus, well, Pilate says, well, am I a Jew? I don't know all these. I don't know what your, your understanding is. But tell me, what have you done? What's the problem? And here Jesus shares what he means when he claims to be a king. You see that in verse 36? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would be fighting. If my kingdom were of this world, I wouldn't be doing the William Wallace rally the troops and try to fight back against Rome thing. But my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? And what it doesn't mean is that Jesus' kingdom is just sort of a, a vague spiritual idea that doesn't really connect with this world. What Jesus means is the origin Okay, his kingdom is very important. It has an impact on our world, but the origin is not human. It's not like the Roman Empire. It's not like any other kingdom. The origin is beyond this world. What does that mean? Here he's being clear with Pilate. My kingdom comes from what is ultimate. My kingdom comes from the God who created the world and who's over the world. That's where my kingdom comes from. And my kingdom is fundamentally different than any kind of political, military force or human kingdom. And see, he's even clearer. He continues in verse 37. You say I am a king. In fact, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Well, this, this is a big theme, and it's something that goes through the whole Bible, that fundamentally, this world needs a king, a true authority. And yet, uh, just on our own, just human level military force or political visions or political campaigning was never competent enough to bring the deep healing and, and rule that this world needs. And here Jesus says, I'm, I'm a king from beyond. He's really talking about something that touches every single person because the Bible tells the story that we were made in God's image. We were created to be obedient to Him. We were made in a world where God was king and we were His subjects, but something went terribly wrong. We rebelled against God's kingship and we set up some other king. We've put something else on the throne of our lives. An 
an ideology or a person or ourselves. And in that, there's a breakdown. And the hope of the whole Old Testament was that God would come with a king, not just a human king, not just someone a little bit more competent than someone else, but a kingdom whose origin was from him. And that's, that's what we terribly need. That's what, that's what this world needs. That's what you and I need, a king from beyond just the human mother. I was, uh, I was working on my car recently with some of the students at the school. And the, I was working on the brakes, and I thought I had a small problem with the brakes, and they, were, they weren't working quite so well. Yeah. They must take to the mechanic. So I took the mechanic, and this week I got the call, you do not want to get from your mechanic. He called me and said, Monsieur, vous avez fait une close, close, close boulette. <laughs> you made a huge, huge, huge mistake. Uh -oh. He says, you put in your car, your brake system, Instead of using brake fluid, you put in an automatic transmission fluid. <laughs> oh, that can't be that serious. It's, a, it's very serious. Because the nature of the fluid is different. Instead of absorbing water, it makes all the rubber ports swell. Your whole system is completely kaput. It's completely, uh, the damage is irreversible. I was thinking, well, I, it drove a while. Okay, man, this has been a few months. I had not even the right fluid in my whole brake system. You know, there, there's, in this world, I want you to realize how important it is that God's kingdom, to have someone in authority who brings true justice, true peace, it has to be perfect. It has to be from someone who sees the whole picture. We really need a king from beyond the, the walls of this world. And if we have substitutes, they might work for a while, but sooner or later they break down because by nature we're back to some human system of, of, of like the Romans or some other political project that's in itself very limited. I wonder for us, the question Jesus asked of Pilate is also important because he says, do, do you understand what, who I am as a king? Are you asking the question yourself or does someone tell you? Do you know what I mean when I'm a king? I think it's easy when we, we're here, we're checking out Christianity maybe, and we hear that Jesus is the king. We think, oh, well, that doesn't sound very good news, because all we have in our idea, our head, is just like Pilate, another human king, another king like Roman, another emperor. In fact, some of the, this movement, the new atheists, this is one of their criticisms. They say, we read the Bible, and it's like God is just this dictator. He controls everything. He's in charge. He's the king. Oh, that doesn't sound good to me. Who wants a Roman emperor at a cosmic scale. You see the problem? We've just got one vision of a king. We have, we're like Pilate. We just think, okay, I think I know what a king is. And Jesus comes and says, wait, I am a king, but not like what you expect. My kingdom is not of this world. You see the, do you see the contrast? Pilate's view of kingship and Jesus, which is very different. And that leads us to the second contrast, and that is two ways of understanding truth. So look what Jesus continues to say. He says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. What a claim. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. Can you imagine the politician saying that? Okay, guys, here, everyone who agrees with me, you're on the side of truth. 
Well, actually, we can't imagine it, can we? Because it, it has happened recently. Well, we'll just change the facts because it makes a better speech and gets more followers and more likes. And so we live, now live in a post-truth era, don't we? But actually, it is ridiculous, and we know it. It's ridiculous to say it. I have the truth. Anyone who's agreeing with me is on the side of truth. Except if Jesus is who he claims he is. If he is this king who's come from beyond, if he has a king that's beyond the world, if he comes from the God who is the creator, who is the ultimate reference point, then Jesus is right to say, the one who listens to me is on the side of truth. And notice what he says. He says, I have come to bear witness. In other words, ultimate truth is not an equation. It's not a Douglas Adam Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What was ultimate truth? I think a number, 42 or something. It's truth, ultimate truth is not some abstract, cold scientific fact, as much as scientific facts are important. Truth is personal. And Jesus says, if you look at me and you listen to my words, you can find me. You really can. And it fits, it makes sense. You know, the, the British. Uh, when Napoleon found the Rosetta Stone, which is now the British Museum. And it was a huge breakthrough, you know, this big Rosetta Stone, because it had the Egyptian hieroglyphics, and then underneath it had the Greek. And it was the same text. And so the first time the archaeologists could figure out, oh wow, we have now a translation, a way to understand the hieroglyphics, which before they didn't. But they saw the hieroglyphics, they knew there was some kind of meaning there, but they needed the key. They needed the the translation, they needed the witness that the stone provided to say, here's the key that unlocks the meaning of the hieroglyphics. And if we live in this world, uh, this world demands a certain explanation. The beauty we can see, the need for justice, the joy we can experience, the brokenness. What's the meaning? What is the ultimate meaning? And Jesus says, I'm the key. If you see me and you listen to me, you can find the truth. An astonishing claim. And how does that compare with Pilate? What does Pilate say? Jesus Pilate was, what is truth? And we do wish we could know what is the tone of voice Pilate had? Was he was he a profound, was this a profound philosophical moment in his life? Saying, oh, that's a good question. What is ultimate truth? Probably not. He's probably being uh, skeptical, cynical. Truth. What is truth? But in fact, we can understand his cynicism, can't we? So if there's no one that comes beyond, if there's no ultimate reference point, who is someone to say, I have the truth? That's kind of silly. In fact, maybe we can know a few things that are true, but we can't know ultimate truth. Even the question, why, why bother? That's sort of a silly question. We were, we're like Pilate. What, what is truth? Let's get down to business. Let's, let's deal with today and let's not ask these deep philosophical questions. But I think John records this question so that we would think about it. Are we more like Pilate? Or are we more willing to listen to Jesus? Because maybe, maybe Jesus is right. If Maybe there's someone who did come from beyond, who came from an ultimate point, and who is the truth. And who has a message and by his life can communicate something that is ultimate, in which case uh, 
it is true, and we can know. And uh, you know, the mechanic called me up about my car. You know, I didn't say, "What? Well, listen, would you stop being so close-minded? You hear this idea that the fluid is bad? Come on, let's be more tolerant." I put in the fluid I want. I found different fluids on the shelf, and I found a lot of the trans solutions about the same color, kind of looked about the same. Let's put it in. Because you would say, well, what do you I'm a mechanic. I know how the car runs. It, this is not a question of just what, what feels good. And that's very much what the Bible says about our lives. We can look on the shelf, and there's different options and different philosophies of life, different things that put on the throne of our life. And Jesus says, this is a question of truth. And one who listens to me uh, and connects to me, you can, you can know, you can know, and you must know. But Pilate is of the time. And so I think if, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're sort of checking things out, I, I would encourage you to, to listen here to Jesus. But what is very clear, he says, those who listen to me and see what my life witnesses of, just take the Gospel of John, read through it, and Consider and think through the claims that Jesus makes. And if you are a Christian, the call is very clear, right? Those who are on the side of the truth, listen to me. You know, I think we can say the first point, yeah, Jesus is my king, that's true, he's, I believe that. But day to day, how much are we really listening? And this summer, maybe vacation in front of you, what a great time. Take some real time and say, I want to listen better, listen more fully. It's kind of scary because at the end with Pilate, Pilate, he's not really listening. And later in the conversation, if you notice when you read the text, he gets a little scared and comes back to Jesus and he asks him again, but Jesus, where are you from? Jesus already answered. And the second time, what does Jesus do? He is silent. See, if we stop listening, if we start making fun, and we decide, no, I don't need to do that, it becomes harder and harder after to really listen. And sometimes God has already communicated, and he is silent with Pilate. Let's listen. That's the second contrast. Well, the third is two different understandings of power. And here's where it's most dramatic. I mean, who is powerful in this scene? It's Pilate, right? He is the governor. And he's convinced, he's convinced that Jesus hasn't committed necessarily a, a big offense. He's not guilty. So he says, I have an idea. Well, each year we released one of the prisoners. It was a tradition at the Feast of Passover. So he says, I have an idea. Well, I'll, I'll offer to release Jesus. Now we all solve this problem. So he goes up to the crowd and says, look, you know, every year I release one of the prisoners for you. How about I release Jesus? And what does the crowd say? Barabbas. They don't want Jesus released, they want Barabbas, who really was an insurrectionist. And so one word from Pilate, Barabbas, is released. Well, that doesn't work, so he, Pilate has another idea. He says, well, I'm going to make fun of Jesus. I'm going to show how pathetic and puny he is, and are they really going to think he needs to be crucified? So he has him beaten by the Romans, he has him flogged, and then he sends him to the, the Roman barracks, the soldiers, and they they find a, a thorn bush, and they think, okay, well, we're going to have fun with this. And they weave together a crown of thorns, and jam it on his head, and they find a purple robe, and they, and they put it on Jesus, and they make fun of him, and they mock him, and then Pilate brings him out, and he says, okay, behold the man. Here's your king, dudes. 
Look how silly he is. He's got a crown of thorns. He's pathetic. He's a bloody mess. You think he's a threat? You think he needs to be crucified? Does it work? No. The crowd demands again that he crucified. He crucified. And so Pilate comes back to Jesus and he's he addresses him again. And see what he says in verse 10, not chapter 19. Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? After he asked him again where he's from. Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? I mean, think about that. Pilate holds Jesus in his hands. I have the power, my word, I could let you go free. And tonight you could be, you know, putting the band-aids on and getting over your wounds, happy. Or I have the power to send you to the Roman cross. Do you not realize the power I have? Sure looks like Pilate's the king, but John is something he loves to do in his gospel. There's sort of a surface meaning, and there's something deeper. Sure looks like Pilate is the king, but is he? Is Pilate really the one with power here? You know, it's interesting. Pilate, his job as the governor is to bring justice, to determine the truth. He says, what is truth? And here he realizes Jesus is innocent, and he can't even protect an innocent man. Why? Because he's, he's controlled by the crowds. He's listening to the crowds and trying to keep the, pre, the, trying to keep the peace. And really, he's pretty weak. And then we find out that he's superstitious. You see verse 8. The Jews said, oh, he claims to be the Son of God. And when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He's been a little unsettled by Jesus, but now hearing that, he's even more afraid. He's superstitious. You know, what, oh, what, what did I get myself into? And now Jesus will answer him. And then the Jews pull out their winning argument, their winning card. They say, you know, if you release this man, you're not a friend of Caesar. And Pilate caves. And he says, okay, I don't want to bother my religion with Caesar. And so he gives in, and he gives over an innocent man to be crucified. Actually, Pilate is weak. He's unable to do justice. He's scared, and he's limited. He's a cog in the Roman machinery, unable to protect Jesus. And how about Jesus? Actually, on the surface, he's bloody, he's powerless, he's a victim, but as we read this story, we realize actually he's the one who's in control. Right at the very beginning, he knew. He'd been telling all along, I will be lifted up. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be lifted up when I die. That means I'm not going to be beheaded. I'm not going to be stoned. It is going to be a Roman execution on a cross. Jesus knew all along. And everything was going according to plan. And Jesus said before, I laid down my life willingly. This has all been planned. And then look at verse 11 of chapter 19. Jesus says, you have no authority, you have no power, Pilate, except that which has been given over to you. Therefore, the one who gave me up has the greater guilt. Jesus pronounces who's guilty. He says, I know who's guilty. I'm the true judge here. Pilate, you're guilty, but so are even more guilty those who handed me over to you. Okay, so what is Jesus doing? Why is he accepting to go to his death? Well, if you know the big story, you know he's doing that not so that he can be our judge, but he's the judge taking the place of the guilty so that he can forgive us. Jesus 
by his death, is going to have the power to forgive those rebels of his kingdom and bring them back and forgive them and heal the relationship between them and the God that we have rejected. Now that is power, isn't it? And by giving himself up and by taking his, our place, just like he took the place of Barabbas, Jesus gains. And on the cross at the end, Jesus says, it is finished. What is finished? God's amazing plan of love to bring his rebellious people back into his kingdom. And that's the power Jesus has. And then three days later, God raises him from the dead. And Jesus defeats death itself and opens up the door for eternal life between us and God. What power is that? See, actually, Pilate is pretty weak. He's a provincial Roman governor. We think he's big stuff, but it's going to last not even 10 years, and he's going to be out. And Paul says in the letter of Ephesians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Can we just think about that? Everyone. This is universal. This is the king beyond, beyond any political group, beyond any. This is the king. Now that's power. And that's our true king. And uh, the question uh, John wants us to think about is the words that are in Pilate's mouth between verse 5, chapter, 9, chapter 19, and verse 15. He says, behold the man, and then he says, behold your king. I think John wants us to think, this man, Jesus, who came to the world, he's a true king, and so he's my king. That's the question for us today is, do we know this King Jesus? Are we following him? Are we giving him that place in our heart? Because the, the, the price he paid was incredible. Even when the mechanic called me, he said, Sir, this is a pretty bad problem. I don't know this is not that big of a deal. We'll just, we'll just swap out the fluids. I'll just rinse it out. He said, no, no, no. The whole system has to be redone. The whole thing, the car is, is way over the price of the price of the car, which is a good thing I have a very cheap car. Um, the, the damage is huge. And you know what we've done with God, turn away from Him, but the damage and the brokenness is tremendous. And that's why this is such good news, that Jesus, this man, becomes, became the king we needed, died for us, and now welcomes us in, and, and uh, opens the door and says, will you follow me? Will you listen to me, and will you follow me? Let me pray for you.